Well, uh, today I was planning to go into uh, the, the summer series uh, for the next seven weeks, and uh, the, the title of the series is Through the Bible in Seven Weeks. Um, we, we really felt like we wanted to take a 30,000-foot view of the scriptures, uh, primarily because for many, when they get into the scripture and they start reading uh, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and some of these heavy things and Revelation and all this stuff, what ends up happening is, is you get overwhelmed, and, and it's intimidating, and, and you end up like giving up on it. Uh, and so our hope is for uh, this series is to really kind of take you uh, in seven different sections of the scripture and help you understand why it's important. Why do we need it in our life? What, what is it about the scripture that's important for us to begin to read? And, uh, and so hopefully as we go through this series, uh, that will be a benefit to you. And you'll have a, a newfound hunger and desire to get into the word of God. Uh, that's what was supposed to happen today. And then yesterday I had a council meeting uh, with uh, some of the council members of our church and, uh, and then at about 11 o'clock last night, after we went shopping for this, uh, I decided to rewrite my whole message. And part of the reason is because I felt like the Lord had put something on my heart a couple months ago when I read a passage of scripture uh, in the different series. And I've been holding on to it, waiting for the right time. I knew if we were to go into a seven-week series, I didn't want to wait all the way until the, the end of the seven weeks, and so we're pushing that off by one week, and I want to share with you something that, uh, that I think is, is really from the Lord, and it's for us as a church, uh, and I hope you'll receive it in a way that is uh, out of love uh, and, and, a, and an eye-opening awakening to what God wants for us at, uh, at Lifehouse Church. I want to take a look at uh, perspective, the, the perspective of how we view the church. Uh, it really came out of this passage of scripture in the different series from Ephesians chapter 2, uh, 19 through 22. And, and, and you, this will be familiar if you've been with us for a while, this will be familiar to you. Uh, so then you are, oh, and by the way, there's not going to be any cheats here or in your, in your bulletin because as I said, I changed it last night. So... Uh, you're just going to have to flip or scroll or do whatever it is that you do. Uh, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, when we were talking in the different series, we were talking about uh, that we are strangers and aliens in this world, that we're to be different in this world and all those things. But, but when I was reading that, the word household struck me. Uh, and it struck me because about six years ago as a church, we went through this process. There was 12 of us that went through a year-long process identifying who God has created us uniquely to be. And one of the words that we came up with as a, as a, as a committee, if you want to call us that, as a, as a team, we came up with the word family as a key word for our church. But interestingly, as we begin to uh, add some strategy and structure to the life of our church, uh, the implementation of family into our church body has uh, not been uh, the most effective and hasn't been the best. Uh, 
and I think what's happened is our church has grown in the last five years quite a bit. Uh, we've had some turnover of people, but it's also uh, gradually grown to where now we're just under 500 people, uh, and, and we keep flirting with that number. We've added a service since that time. And so with new people and new culture, what you have is new filters. You have people who have filtered the way that they've done church or that the way they've experienced church from their past and now bringing it into the context of this church community. Uh, And so today's message is really to help us begin to shift our perspective back to not a new perspective, but to the correct perspective. To, to the right perspective. And, and when I say that, you, you know what I'm talking about because when you, when you look at something, uh, have you ever seen those pictures where uh, you, you look at the picture and you think it's one thing, but then you kind of shift or somebody tells you what it actually is and you shift and you're like, oh yeah, I see it. I have a couple examples for you. So the, the first example is this one. Do you see the, the old man with the pipe or, or do you see, just shift a little bit, and do you see the horse? Ah, I see it. All right. And if you don't, keep looking. Shift a little bit. Now you see the horse. Uh, show the second one. Uh, what's on your mind? Is it, is it hate? Is that what you see? Or do you see the word love? So you just shift a little bit, and, and it changes the perspective just a bit. And what I want to talk about is shifting our perspective where we see the church in the correct way. Because the church has always meant to be family. Always. Not business. See, business is uh, expectation. Business is employees. Business is workers who are just doing tasks and getting things done. But the reality is, is God didn't send his son to die on the cross to redeem a bunch of employees. He, oh, we got some life to more. Uh, all right. I'm feeling like Stephen Furtick. I'm going to start preaching like Stephen Furtick. You guys don't even know what's in store for you. He didn't, he didn't send his son to die on the cross for a bunch of employees. He, he sent his son to die on the cross to to redeem sons and daughters of the Most High God. And if we look in Scripture, we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It reminds us that we are sons and daughters and that we are children of God, that, that we will be a family that represents who he is to a world that doesn't know him. Uh, the, the scripture in Galatians chapter 4 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are now no longer a slave. We sing that song. No long, I'm no longer a slave. I'm a child of God. We're, I'm no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then we are heirs through God. We aren't errors You're not a mistake. You are an heir. You have inherited all of who God is. So we understand this when we begin to recognize that our own children are reflections of us. 
And you may think that your child is more a reflection of your spouse than of you or whatever, or you, you may, you know this uh, in that moment when your child swears for the first time and you look at your spouse and be like, I wonder where they got that from. Right? They, they copy you because they've heard you say it. Now, it's not always negative. There's also positive things uh, that our children begin to pick up on. Uh, the, the statistic of going to church and be, as dads going to church, the impact that has as we reflect that for our children is huge. Why, why are we uh, forgiving people as believers? Why are we forgiving? Uh, why are we gracious? Why are we generous? It's because we have a father, a heavenly father, who we sit under and say, teach us how to be like you. We have to shift our perspective because what happens is we get confused. And I want to be careful because this isn't an an intentional confusion. I don't want us to, to feel guilt this morning. Or, or I mean, if you feel guilty, that's really on you. This is intended for us to begin to realize maybe our perspective has shifted in the wrong direction. Because how I perceive something, how I look at something, will determine how I engage with it. And if I perceive something incorrectly, I'll engage with that thing incorrectly. If you have a misunderstanding in a relationship where you think somebody said something, but it was incorrect, how you respond to them will be incorrect. And so how we perceive our church, the church, not just Lifehouse Church, but how we perceive what church is about. If we perceive it incorrectly, we will engage with it incorrectly. So I'm a, I'm a big customer service person. I'm sure this is like a first world Americanized thing because you go to some other countries and the customer service is just different and, and, and not the same and, and whatever. And I, I'm a customer service guy and I, you can, I guess judge me for that, but when I go into a restaurant, if I, especially if I've made a reservation, and I'm not uh, attended to or, or uh, somebody doesn't recognize that I'm there uh, or if I have to wait a long time. This happened last, uh, a couple Mother's Day ago. We went to a restaurant, had a reservation. They kept letting their friends through, and, uh, and, and we, we had a reservation like 30 minutes later. Uh, they allowed us to come in. Uh, I, don't, I don't really complain. I don't get argumentative. I don't, uh, I don't, you know, ask for a manager or anything. But what I do do is I remember. I remember and I don't go back. Right? If, I, if I'm seated and, uh, and the, the waiter or the waitress uh, doesn't acknowledge that I'm there or, uh, or bring water and some bread or chips and salsa or whatever, you know, and it's now 30 minutes into us being there, I don't, I don't respond poorly. I don't treat them poorly. I still even tip them. But, but I remember, and I don't go back. And in this context, how I approach a restaurant is different than how I would approach my home. If I were to take that same concept, which I value my life, so I don't, 
But if I were to have a long day at work and come home and sit at my dining room table and wait for some chips and salsa and some water to come to the table, and as time goes by, say, hey, is anybody going to serve me? Is anybody going to bring me some water and some chips from every single room in our house? It will be no. Get your own water. Get your own chips. If I'm sitting there and my wife presents a dinner and it's got some things in it that I don't like and I'm like, you know I don't like this. Why would you put this in there? I'm taking my business elsewhere. She would say, fine. (laughs) See, it, it doesn't work when you treat your home as a business. When you, when you, it just, it doesn't work out. It, it, it confuses things. It's problematic, and it, and it just doesn't work. And so somewhere along the line, and, and again, this is not just, uh, this is not just Lifehouse Church. This is, I think, church across, across the board. Somewhere along the line, we have become programmed to view the church as something other uh, something different than family. We've, we've been confused about some things. And I'll give you another example to kind of help portray this. Let's just say that you have a, a large family. How many of you have like, just a big family that gets together on Thanksgiving, right? Uh, our family's not really large, and so uh, there's a few of us. But big fa- like nobody? Any? F- okay, okay. All right, I thought, I, I thought maybe my mic wasn't on. Uh, so you got a big family, and it's Thanksgiving dinner. You show up, right? You show up to the Thanksgiving dinner, and uh, and everybody's doing something. Everybody's carving turkeys or, get, or cooking turkeys, and they're getting casseroles done. And uh, and and one of the aunts, Aunt Sarah, comes to you, and she hands you a bag of potatoes and a bag of sweet potatoes and informs you what a peeler looks like. And so now you are the potato peeler. And so uh, what do you do? It's family, so you just start peeling potatoes. And then the next year, you bring your potato peeler that you bought in Korea or someplace. It's the most amazing potato peeler ever because you're the potato peeler. That's what you do. You don't don't say uh, when Aunt Sarah hands you the two bags, you don't say, oh, I'm sorry, I, I don't really have a passion or vision for for potatoes it's just not it's just you know it's not my thing no you you peel potatoes because everybody's doing something everybody has a place and and it doesn't matter if you have a passion for potatoes or not you're what you do have a passion for hopefully and biblically is family See, you have a passion for family, and so because you have a passion for family, you peel potatoes because you got family there, and you're with cousin Jeff or whoever, and you're just peeling potatoes. You know what else family doesn't have? Family doesn't have a leadership ladder. So that's a business model. Family doesn't have that. I don't peel potatoes and after, you know, 12 years of peeling potatoes, look over and see, see the ones who are carving the turkey and think, someday. 
I'm a potato peeler now, but there will be a day in which I get to carve the turkey. Right? It, you, you don't do that. It's, it's because it's family. When you, uh, when you sit down at the table after uh, everything's been prepared and you're sitting there and people are eating the potatoes and they're like, these are amazing. And you're like, I know. You're welcome. The potatoes don't peel themselves. You, you, you don't even think that because no one's thinking that. Everyone's just playing a part. Everyone's just doing something because it's family. We see this played out in the church where we, we hear things like, and listen to me, we're big on purpose, we're big on people discovering their purpose around here, but, but when someone says, I don't, I, don't have, I don't have a passion to be a greeter, I just don't have vision for that. Or, or I, I, I know that kids are important, I just don't, I don't have a passion to serve the kids. Yeah, passion really doesn't have a whole lot to do with it if you're family. If you're, if you're family, you, you'll do whatever because it's family. And, and as long as you're doing it with family, then things begin to change and, and things begin to transform in your life. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, 1 through 32, I'll just read to you uh, a few of these verses. Uh, interestingly, these verses are uh, really, uh, some people look at them more so as, uh, as kind of leadership structure or whatever, but this is what he says. He says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out uh, about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, listen to this, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. See, God is trying to mature us. That's what family does. Family sets us up to mature. Family thinks like that. Restaurants don't care. Hotels, they they don't care if you're mature or not. They don't want you destroying their place. But here's the thing. Family cares whether or not you're maturing, whether you're growing. And for so many people, we are stunted. Our growth is stunted. And we remain immature because we don't approach church as family. And so when someone, when someone gets in your business, when someone says to you, hey, man, you, you've been coming here for a long time, and I don't see any growth, you're like, whoa, who are you? Who are you to say that I'm not growing and all this? I'm family. If, if, my 12, if my son stops growing at 12 years old, he's now about to turn 17, when, when if, if at 12, he just stopped growing and developing, 
That would be a problem, right? I mean, we, we would want to find out why, what's going on in his life. Not only would I care about it, his mom would care about it, his grandparents would care about it, his aunt and uncles would care about it. They'd be like, hey, you got to get him into a doctor. You got to find out what's going on. He, he's, he's like a 12-year-old, a 17-year-old trapped in a 12-year-old's body. It's not right. And why would we care about that other than we're family? See, what happens oftentimes if our perspective is shifted away from this family perspective is when people begin to say, man, you just, we want to see you go deeper in your relationship with God. We want you to progress and draw closer to the Lord. And if you're responding, whoa, whoa. I'm just, I'm, I'm just here for the coffee and, uh, and, and, the, and the worship. And I, I, no, we, we want to do that because we care about you because you're family. In the church family, we, we, we should have an approach that says something's wrong. There's not growth in your life. Because one of the marks of maturity is personal responsibility. The main reason we have to approach this as family is, and not a business is because I, I don't have a sense of personal responsibility in a restaurant. If I sit down at the table and the waiter comes over and says, hey, uh, I've, I've kind of heard about your Thanksgivings, and it sounds like you're a pretty amazing potato peeler. We've got some potatoes in the back. We'd love for you to come back and peel some for us. I'd be like, you're out of your mind. I'm not doing that. I'm paying money to sit here and not go peel potatoes. And you probably know where this is going, but, but if that's how we view the church, it's easy for us to slip into the mentality that says, I'm paying, I'm giving, I'm tithing so that I don't have to go peel potatoes. And it's a dangerous place to be in. See, I got a yes, sir. I, my kids don't even call me sir. You hear that? It's Father's Day. You call me sir. No, nobody wakes up and says, oh, I, I'm going to look for a church. They move into a new community and they Google consumer-driven church, right? Nobody does that. Nobody wants to go to a consumer-driven church. We want to go to a purpose-driven church. We want to go to a Bible church. We want to go to all these churches. But what's interesting is we don't realize when we are in church what we do to contribute to the culture and to the environment by which we now we, we contribute to it becoming a consumer-driven church because our perspective is to receive, and our perspective is to let the leadership take care of things. When, when you got saved, you, uh, you, when you became a follower of Jesus, there were certain things that he asked of us, that we would pray, that we'd pray for the sick, we'd, we'd pray for those uh, that come to the elders of the church and get prayed over, that we'd take care of the poor and the needy, the widows and the orphans, that uh, that we would make disciples, that we'd go into all nations, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that, that, that there would be some things as Christ followers that we're asked to do. 
But what often happens is we come to the church, we come to the restaurant, we, we come to the organization and expect the organization to create something or build something for me to accomplish the Christian life. Meaning, because you're uncomfortable right now, meaning that, that we wait for the church to have a life group strategy in order for me to be in community. Or, or we, wait, we go to the church that has a kids program so that we can drop our kids. Or, or we, we wait for uh, the church to come up with a way to feed the poor. Now, none of that is wrong in and of itself as a, as a biblical stance for the church, for the, the community of people to take care of some of those things. But at the end of the day, isn't it our responsibility to be able to come to a place to where when someone says, well, what's your life group strategy? How do I get plugged in? To be able to say, well, you just invite some people over to your house. Well, what's, your, what's the new believers class? What's the new believers program that you have? Who's the leader of that? Who's going to lead my, my new believing friend into the things of, of God? Uh, it's at your home, and you're the leader. Like, like there's something about us where we expect the 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 organization to come up with the solution and to accomplish our Christian life for us. Personal responsibility isn't weird in the context of family. It's just weird outside of family. It's weird when you're at a restaurant and they're asking you to do potatoes. It's weird in those environments. But in family, for us to be able to say, how can I peel potatoes? How can I do this? So the question for us is, how does family, the perspective of, of church as family, how does that become then a catalyst for the loss, for the harvest, for, for revival. Because we all would say that. We, this, this country's going to hell in a handbasket. We need a revival in this place. How does, how does viewing church as family become a catalyst for all those who are far from Jesus to come into the kingdom of God? Well, it happens because Family, healthy family is the most attractive thing in all of the world. Uh, if, if you grew up in a family that maybe was dysfunctional or unhealthy, um, and, and maybe you woke up on Saturday mornings and your mom didn't even pour your cereal for you, you had to pour it out yourself and dump the milk onto it. And, but Johnny down the street, his mom uh, you know, they, they would get up together as a family, and she'd make eggs benedict and French toast, and every Saturday morning, she was making breakfast. And you're like two blocks away, and you got a bike. We don't do it anymore because of safety reasons, but when I was a kid, I'd, my parents let me ride all over our town and had no idea where I was. So on Saturday morning, I'm getting on my bike, and I'm going to that family 
I'm not even knocking the door. I'm just walking in. Hey, Johnny, what's for breakfast? There's something that draws us that's attractive. Now, I'm not saying that, 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 you know, I don't know Johnny's family. So what I am saying is that when you see healthy family, it's attractive. You want to be a part of it. And you know when it's not. And you've experienced when it's not. The shift becomes catalytic because I promise you we live in a culture and a world that's looking for a healthy representation of family. And we live in a culture that's, that's trying to, I'm not getting political, I'm just telling you the reality where we're downplaying the role and the responsibility of family. And if the church can't represent that for the world, then what are we doing? Because this has always been, from the very beginning, it's always been about family. Where does he set the lonely? In families. What are we doing to prepare our place, our home, for those who are lonely and brokenhearted? Our God is looking for a family to place those who are lonely. We have an opportunity. We have an opportunity, and this isn't, uh, I'm not going to have our dream team leaders come, and now everybody's got to sign up to peel potatoes or any of those things. But we have an opportunity. I am going to talk to you about this. Right now, in, in this moment that we live in, we have the opportunity to serve the largest generation that we have ever seen. And you may think it's the millennials. It ain't. It's Gen Z. It's Generation Z, and these are our children, these are our youth, these are our young adults. It's, it makes up 27% of our population. And we, as a church, we as a family, have an opportunity to serve them. This generation is the first generation in American history to be post-Christian. They're not running towards the church. They're not having modeled for them what it is to be a son and daughter of the, of, of the most high God. That's not being modeled for them. They're not, they have no idea of what, what healthy family looks like. And so they're not finding it in the church and they're just doing whatever they want to do. And we have an opportunity to be different. We have an opportunity to minister and love on families who walk through our doors. And here's an interesting opportunity for us. I talked to some, uh, this, this uh, challenge was presented to me, and so I talked to some of my pastor friends about it, and no one seems to really have grabbed hold of how we solve this challenge. We're either afraid of it, we don't have the resources, we don't have the people to do it. But what we're finding in our home in our family, is a growing, uh, a growing number of, of special needs families where we have kids who are, who are coming in. We have parents who are coming in. And listen, I don't have a special needs child. I have zero context for the amount of brokenheartedness and pain and struggle and challenge that comes from raising a special needs child. 
but they're family. I was talking to uh, one of our uh, one of our moms uh, in between services, and she said her her boy, her special needs boy, uh, every Sunday morning wakes up and says, "Church, church." So we have the opportunity to meet the needs of a community that most church families have zero idea what to do. And we have teachers who want to do that. We have teachers who have a passion for that. The challenge is, is we, those teachers who have a passion to meet these needs for this, these families are already teaching down the hall. So now we're pulling them out of other classes, creating a team for that. Now we've got need here, we've got need there. And I get it. You can say, yeah, but it's just, you know, kids, it's not my passion. I don't have any vision for that. And I would just remind you that you don't have to have vision for potatoes. I'm not calling our kids potatoes, but you, you don't have to have vision for that. You have to have passion and vision for family because we have an opportunity to minister to family. Whatever it is, whatever opportunity, we have the privilege to peel potatoes, to carve turkeys, to do whatever it is, and to be able to say, look at what God's done. Look at what he's done. Or we can be the crazy uncle that never does anything, sits on the couch and says, give me a beer. I don't want to be that crazy uncle. Some of you may be that crazy uncle out there, but don't be that crazy uncle here. I don't think any one of us would say, oh, I want to be that, and I'm feeling really guilty. And, uh, you know, but here's the thing is we just, have to, we just have to shift, just shift our perspective. The, the, the church, this isn't a restaurant. The, the church isn't, isn't a uh, an order off the menu, a la carte situation. We're a family. And when we remember that, when we begin to remember family, we'll peel potatoes, we'll do whatever. Right? So, I'm not going to make a plea. If, if the Lord's put on your heart to do something, do it. Find somebody, talk to somebody. We had a couple of ladies who uh, work with special needs kids. They went to Pastor Julie after first service and volunteered and said, I'm in. What do I got to do? If that's you, great. If that's not your thing, serve down the kids' halls to free up some of these other people. Serve on our greater team, on our hospitality team, be on our worship team. Do whatever it is that you want to do. Bring your peeler and say, let's do this because we're family. As long as I'm with family, I'll do whatever needs to be done and I shared this with First Service that uh, for both Kelly and I, uh, we're convicted by this. We've been sitting on this. We've been processing it. We've been talking about it. We've been talking to our elders about it because, listen, at the end of the day, you don't need, I, we're going to continue to have our life group programs and, and, and life track and dream team and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, you don't need to wait for somebody to say, hey, will you come be a part of my life group? 
you can actually go and find five people and say, I need community in my life. Will you meet with me at Starbucks? We meet, we meet with me for lunch, over lunch, because I need family. And let it be a competition in here where, where you're like, no, I'm going to wait. I'm kind of an introvert. I'll wait for somebody to ask me. Introvert, extrovert, nothing to do with it. Your family. If you're an introvert in the, in the Thanksgiving dinner, you're still peeling potatoes. You're still doing things. You're still a part of it, right? Because you're, you're family. Maybe quiet. You're not as loud as Aunt Susie, but you're family. And, and so don't wait on the program, on the church. Just, I, I commission you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can do it. We can do it. We're convicted by this because, honestly, it's easy to fall into the trap. We do a lot of busy work around here, but it's when we leave this place that I feel convicted. How am I being family? How am I being community when I leave here to my neighbors and to those that I come into contact with? Let's pray.